You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, featuring exclusive audio from Catalyst, the official singles conference of the Los Angeles International Church of Christ Singles Ministry. Well, good morning. Wow, it feels like nighttime, kind of. How am I doing here on PowerPoint? Um, there we go. Remain in me, John 15. You know, the theme of this uh, retreat has been connecting with God. And uh, so we're going to talk about John 15 today, remain in the vine to see really what we are connected to, right? It's not sort of God, this ethereal connection with God up there, but it's a living, breathing life force that we are connected to if we remain in the vine. Uh, I did want just to uh, throw a quick shout out here and, and pass out uh, to the pen tablet, uh, the Pentagon, the five people that probably did more work than anybody else in putting this together. I know there's a lot of thank yous to go around. I'm always thankful for San Diego for uh, hosting us and just being a part of uh, this retreat. That has been such a great blessing just to... Uh, uh, really merge these singles ministries uh, from all around Southern California. Uh, a special shout out to all those who came from out of state and uh, flew and drove. And uh, and I consider Northern California out of state too because it really is a different state down here. We're not, well, we're trying to secede, but we have not done it yet. But so for uh, Northern California, all the way to Washington from Vegas, and then there's just too many places to list. It is really fun, and, and really what it expresses to me is the need just to be together and to uh, be connected. But especially uh, the Catalyst Planning Committee, uh, we've got them uh, some gift certificates to Lucille's Steakhouse, uh, 50 bucks each, uh, which if you divide it by the number of hours, I think they probably did make about 25 cents an hour uh, planning for this retreat. So I did want to say thanks to Jamie uh, Jason, Dink, Kemba Henderson, and Angela Williams. Now the rest of you know who to hang out with for lunch. <laughs> Again, how do we connect with God? I think that's the uh, the topic of today. That's what we're we're here to learn. We're here to remind ourselves of. And uh, spending time with God, sometimes you don't feel a connection. Uh, and sometimes even spending time in God's Word, we don't feel a connection. So uh, I'm hoping today to begin to stir our thoughts, stir our emotions, uh, and uh, stir our, our minds to, to really understand what it is we are connected to when we talk about connecting with God and remaining in the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So this is not the first time we've probably seen this passage and read it, um, I'm going to share a little bit about uh, just the vine itself and Christ and, and how he came to be. Uh, and then um, 
Mike Morgan from Turning Point is going to come and share in just a moment as well a little bit about his story and getting connected, reconnected uh, to the vine. And uh, then we will close out with communion. And uh, that's kind of the plan for this morning. Amen. Uh, but I did tease this uh, on Facebook for those who, you know, uh, were a part of this event page uh, with a little bit of a construction project. So that's what we're going to get to here in, uh, well, right now. <laughs> I am the true vine. What are you part of? We are part of a living organism, a fruit-bearing tree of life that has been growing for thousands of years. And God's role in that is that he is the gardener. He is the one that cultivates uh, the vine. Now, there's really no overhead lights, is there? Um, it's all right. And so you are part of a spiritual life force that cannot be stopped, right? You are part of something that the gates of hell cannot overcome. But all of this had a beginning. And so the Bible reads uh, in 1 Kings 8:27. you thought I was going to Genesis... But will God really dwell on earth? And this is the question that Solomon asked when he built the temple. And as amazing as it was, he looked at it and said, Is God really going to live here? This is a nice house, but is God going to live here? Oh, thanks, bro. Awesome. All right, if your battery goes out, I'll just charge it. That's all right. Um, Because he said that the heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. Well, what's interesting is the answer to that question is right there. Will God really dwell on earth? The answer is yes, because the heavens, even the highest heavens, could not contain him. And so God was a life force that the heavens could not contain. And so, kind of like Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, life finds a way. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And here's where we go to our props here, okay? So it's playtime. I don't know if you guys are into Legos and construction and building, but as a structural engineer, I find that uh, examples for me are, are key, right? I have to have some examples of how this all works. Okay, so what happened here is in the beginning, you had this life force of God. And God, Elohim, in Genesis is plural, right? And we know Him as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they all form what we know and call God. Alright? So how did that happen? I'm not sure. That's another topic, another lesson. But for purposes of this project, when God asked, When Moses asked God, well, what's your name? Like, if I go and show up, I don't just want to say God, because they all have names in Egypt. So, what is the name of God? And what did he say? I am who I am. So, the I am was in the beginning. And then, I'm sure you can read this font. Um, 
God breathed life into dust. And somebody actually did a, uh, a price analysis of what you're worth. Does anybody know what you're worth? Well, I know priceless. I know you can't put a price. But in terms of dust, in terms of the minerals that make up you, if you boil it down to your minerals, and if you've had a loved one cremated, I've had my, that happened to my parents. And I, all right, we're not going to go down that road, but $8 of minerals. That is what you are worth when you turn back into dust. So then, in a civil suit, when somebody sues for wrongful death, why isn't the award $8? Because God breathed into your nostrils and put a spirit and a soul inside of eight bucks worth of minerals. And so the value of a human life comes from not from this flesh. It comes from God and His breath. And whether you are a servant of God or not, it doesn't matter. He is still the source of your life. So then what happened? You know, Lindsay talked about some firsts in his life on Friday night. He had a lot of firsts. And when I look at this passage, we see a first for God. His first broken heart. His first rejection. For the Lord formed Adam out of the dust, and then sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And mankind would never be the same. And can you imagine God calling out to the creation that he made where are you? And to hear the response from Adam, I heard you, and I was afraid, and so I hid. And so now we as a creation constantly hide from God. The source of our life, the source of our being. The thing that gives us value when we sin, we hide from God. That's sad, isn't it? And so another first for God was the first shedding of blood as he slaughtered an animal to make coverings for Adam and Eve. And knowing at that time that that was not really going to be the last time blood would be shed. And so by the time Noah hits, the heartbreak was complete and God was grieved that he had made man at all. And his heart was filled with pain and the life that he created to share with himself, had no interest in God. No room in their hearts, no concern for his feelings, and man wanted nothing but to feel good all the time. And so God began again with Noah and his descendants. Let's see if I can find those guys. So from Shem to Terah, God continued the vine and God continued his seed 
And then he began to reveal himself to Abraham. And he made promises to Abraham, right? So here is the lineage of Christ. He has both a human background and, of course, a divine background because the source of all life is the I am. But as he breathed life, he came to Abraham. And what Abraham, he was promised, of course, uh, to have many, many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, if you can count those. And after many years, he said, well, you know what? Maybe God needs my help. Even though God is the source of all life, I'm not sure if God is able to create life from me and Sarah. So what did he do? He took another wife, Hagar, and then she bore a son named Ishmael. And yet, God had not chosen Ishmael, but he had pity on Ishmael. And so he told him, hey, I will make you into a mighty nation. And he said, go and bear fruit. Isn't that cool in the Old Testament? Like the greatest command was basically to procreate. Some of us feel like, man, I was born in the wrong covenant, you know. (laughs) That's all you had to do. That's all I want to do, you know. I belong in the Old Testament. But God was not done with him, and he opened up Sarah's womb. And uh, she bore him Isaac. And then from Isaac came Jacob. And from Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel. All right. And they were fruitful as well. All right. Stick in there. And one of those tribes, God said, the scepter would not leave your, this, uh, this tribe. And, and out of one of you will come a king that will always remain on the throne. And that was, of course, which tribe? That was the tribe of Judah. And uh, this is where the genealogy of Christ gets a little weird. Uh, because... Judah basically sleeps with Tamar, uh, who was engaged to be married to his son. But it's okay, he thought she was a prostitute. So it was a big misunderstanding. Um, That's in the lineage of Christ. And then years later, after uh, the, the, the time that they spent in Egypt, God led them out and he decreed total destruction on Jericho, right? And he said, you must destroy every living thing. And you might think, God is so harsh back then. Well, he had a plan for Jericho, and he saved one, Rahab, a prostitute who hid the spies. And Rahab became part of the lineage of Christ. And then a few generations later, uh, Naomi, her, her husband dies and her two sons die. And so she's just left with uh, her two daughter-in-laws and one of which, Ruth, stays with her. And of course, Ruth was a Moabite. And the Moabites, they came from Lot. And that gets weird too because 
Basically, Lot's daughters realized that they would not be able to be fruitful and multiply, so they got their dad drunk, and they had children with him. All right? That's in the lineage of Christ. And only a few generations later from that, uh, from Boaz and Ruth, would be King David. And of course, King David was a man after God's own heart, but in order for his lineage to succeed, he had to steal another man's wife and have that man killed. And that is in the lineage of Christ as God went through Solomon. Uh, the, the lineage of Jesus goes through Solomon. And then God, is that where we're at here? Is that David and Bathsheba? All right. So then uh, what happens is, you know, they sin again, and then you have the exile. And God kept a little bit of a vine alive there. You see that? See how it's black? It's a little different color. And so God kept this lineage alive through the exile. And this was a dry period in Israel. And even as they began to restore themselves, they were really never able to restore the kingdom to its former glory. And then in the time, of course, of the Roman Empire, God chose, like a root out of dry ground, Joseph and Mary, from the lineage of David, and and they traveled down to Bethlehem. And God chose another very unlikely couple. To bear, and this is where I'm going to get all Pope on you, the Lord, all right? (laughs) Bless this side of the room and bless that side of the room. (laughs) All right, I hope this is structurally sound. (laughs) And the cool thing about Christ is that you may have thought God forgot about the Gentiles. God was always driving people away, trying to preserve the vine. But God had not forgotten about them because he grafted them in to Christ. And God needed to redeem Israel as well. And so God grafted in Israel through Christ. And so now you have Jew and Gentile, the Savior of all mankind, Jesus Christ, redeeming the vine that he created. And you might think it's over there, but it's not over there. As it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So this right here represents Christ. He is the one. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who created us, breathed life into us, and continued to garden until Christ came to redeem all mankind. And so Christ is a life-giving spirit. He's more than just a living being. He's more than just a person who lived. He was the source of all life. It was He who breathed life into Adam from the dust in the ground. And so He left behind the body of Christ. Something that looks similar, right? See the imagery there? I'm going to be accused of icon, iconography now. And what's so cool is that now you guys, much like the unclean Gentiles, you guys are wild olive shoots. So now let me move this down here. You guys still got it? 
And now, through the church, God continues to add his disciples, right? This looks like Arizona State, the Triton here. I led that campus ministry, but... Now, it's interesting, what are you supposed to be as a disciple? Well, if you're supposed to be like Christ, what was Christ? He was a life-giving spirit. So you have to be a life-giving spirit to others. If you are going to be like Christ and feed from the nourishing sap, the Bible says, of the vine, right? It says... You have been grafted in among the others, and you now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root. This thing is a living organism that has been alive since God first breathed life into Adam, who is our brother in Christ. Isn't that cool? And this is the way you started, right? When you got baptized, everyone celebrated. It's like, woo, you know, and, 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 and you started being grafted in. And over time, you got stronger and stronger to where really the sap was just flowing through you and into you. And that's why it says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, because God is a life force. It can't be stopped. You have to continue some way, somehow, to breathe life into God's kingdom and into the church. And so sometimes I think what we do is, rather than be a life-giving spirit, I mean, at minimum, just one other person, right? At minimum, let it flow through you. But I think for some of us, you know, it's amazing to me that a lot of us have been around a long time, but we refuse to give of ourselves and this is about the only thing you can do to stop the life force of god is to put a cap on your spiritual life and then you start getting muddy right you realize how dark life gets when you're not part of a life force you ever been at that place (laughs) you ever been at that place where you've really really pulled back and i'm not talking about pulling back just to kind of regroup spiritually, which sometimes we need to do. But I'm talking about really putting a cap on our spiritual growth. And what happens when that happens? It says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, because that's really the purpose as disciples, right? We are supposed to be a part of this life force. Now, it's not us, you know. It's not you out there tricking people and, and doing a good job of sales. It's literally just God working through you. If you are in the vine, this is the byproduct of Christ and the sap that you are being nourished from. But a lot of us, when we cap our spiritual lives, it's amazing, we sort of stop the flow. And then we start getting critical of everything. Uh, That sermon didn't minister to me. Well, it's not for you. It's supposed to be for the guy that you were bringing. (laughs) And then, have you ever brought somebody to church and you're like, oh God, please let the communion be awesome, let the sermon, please don't let anybody say anything weird, and just, you know, you can't, you're beside yourself, because it's all about, oh Lord, why? Because there's this 
love and this desire for them to see this life force of God, to see what we're a part of. It has to flow through us. I mean, this is about the minimum. At least let it go. One person. Some of us have stopped even helping one other person. And we've been disciples for 10, 15 plus years, and we feel like, I can't help somebody. And so in gardening, if God is the gardener, it says, there's a term for that. (laughs) It's a sucker. Man, you don't want to be a sucker, do you? And what is the role of a sucker? Well, he takes, or she takes, but it doesn't give back. And you know, the, the... God being the gardener of your life, the original purpose of what he calls pruning, right? And suckers get pruned, right? It's like snitches get stitches, you know? Suckers, say suckers get pruned. Honestly, we don't like, I don't like suck. Like, like I don't let my kids say that, like if they say that, I don't like that. But in this context, it's a gardening context, all right? So suckers get pruned. And the original purpose for pruning is God trying to save you and return you back to a life force. Back to somebody who the life of Christ flows through them. So you've got to ask yourself, what is taking from me spiritually? And is God trying to prune that from you? Because we also got to ask ourselves, if we are sucking from the fellowship and we are a drain and we're supposed to be a life-giving spirit, then your days are numbered. Because God is the gardener and this is a life-giving spirit and it has survived for thousands of years before you arrived and it will survive for an eternity, so if you're taking life away and not being a life-giving spirit, then your days, they are numbered, aren't they? So what is it that God is trying to prune in you? What is it that God wants to take from you that we hold on to so tightly? You know, is God trying to take our pride? Is God trying to take our greed? Is God trying to take away from you those times of impurity that you give yourself as kind of a pick-me-up? What about dating? You know, who would God have you date? Who would God have you join with in this life-giving organism? Would He join you with somebody that takes away from you spiritually? Or somebody that provides nourishment. And I'm not talking about, oh, you know, they go to church. Oh, she's Christian. Yeah, a lot of us went to church. (laughs) A lot of us called ourselves Christian. And I know that before somebody gets baptized into this church, we get with that person. We ask them, are you a disciple of Christ? Have you committed everything to Christ? Have you given up everything? Have you died to yourself? Are you willing to live according to the Bible as your standard? Are you willing to repent and confess all of your sins? 
And are you willing to die for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to live, go anywhere, do anything? Are you willing to give up everything for Christ? And even if they say yes, we say, well, I got another study where I'm going to count the cost and really make sure. I'm going to try to project the next hundred years of your life and say, are you really sure? Jesus is Lord of your life. That's the vetting process, really, according to the scriptures, before someone is grafted in to the vine. And I don't know the vetting process at every other church. Most of them are, oh, you're a Christian? Come on in. Doors open. So guys, don't be a sucker. Don't date in the world and don't call people Christians that are not Christians to soothe your conscience. You need to date and marry a life-giving spirit who's committed their life to Christ and has received a nourishing sap from the vine. Because I don't want you to be pruned. It's very sad when somebody who's been around a long time walks away from God, isn't it? Don't be a sucker. You know, every branch who that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. You know, even if you're doing well spiritually, that's like God still is like, eh. <laughs> I love you, but snap. <laughs> what happens, though, if it gets too bad and our, we cap our spiritual life? And God simply says, I'm going to prune you. And he sets you aside. And the Bible says, whoever strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. And when we let go of the sap, when we let go of the vine, when we let go of Christ, we walk away from God and the fellowship, we begin to die spiritually. Now, you may not see it as that. Honestly, when some people are getting pruned, They walk away and it's a relief to them because they've been a drain for so long and they've been in a dark place for so long that it almost seems like they're getting some nourishment elsewhere. But if you're not giving nourishment from Christ and the vine and God the Father, eventually that fruit will be born for what it is. And we come to rest in the company of the dead. You know what? The cool thing is, is that death has never been like this issue for God. God started with dust, dirt, to create this. So God can even take dead branches and graft them back in to the vine. We've seen many powerful stories of people being restored into their relationship with Christ. If you've been restored to Christ in your spiritual walk at some point in time, I want you to raise your hand. At this time, I'm going to ask Mike Morgan to come and share a little bit about his story of being restored to the vine. Church in Los Angeles. Uh, 
an amazing weekend. I'm really grateful to be here, and I'm really grateful to be up here sharing my heart. Um, I'd originally started writing something, and I didn't feel authentic, and somebody advised that uh, I should maybe just speak from my heart with some points, so I'm just going to pray that God connects the dots, and uh, yeah, start there. So uh, I grew up in a Catholic church, and so Jesus was something that was familiar to me. Uh, I knew the white face and, you know, the he loves you, he's holding his hands out in a white robe, uh, waiting for you to come to him. And uh, I never really understood who he was until I uh, came to a point in my life where I lost uh, my best friend. Uh, he was murdered, and life became real to me. Uh, it was a tragic loss, but it also just woke me up that I have to be accountable for my life, and it'll be required of me one day. Um, so with that, uh, I kind of came to a faith in Jesus. I didn't change my life exactly, but I had a faith in Jesus. And uh, so I studied biblical archaeology. I uh, went to Israel. I was able to be in the Holy Land, uh, sit under that sky, and just really connect with God. Uh, I ended up getting met and became a disciple in 2000. And I moved to Los Angeles. Thank you. <clears throat> Moved to Los Angeles, and uh, I was going to be a rapper. You know, I came out here to do music, and I did some shows, and I realized I don't like performing and being on stage that much. <laughs> it's just not my shape. I would rather just be a guy that writes dope verses and let people hear them, buy a CD maybe. Um, but with that, I did get into teaching. I ended up teaching in Linwood, uh, eighth grade English for a while. And uh, it was amazing. Uh, but then that was also taken away, just uh, education policies at the time. And so I was kind of lost and depressed and uh, started doing real estate for a while. Met a girl that I really liked, got engaged, uh, found out we wanted different things out of life, and then that kind of went away. And uh, I got really depressed. And instead of turning back to God in my life, I went to alcohol, cigarettes, any kind of escape that I could find. And... I was lost for years um, out in the world just trying to figure things out, get it together. Uh, had a really great friend, best friend. God bless me again with a best friend that I'm uh, incredibly grateful for. And he was kind of like, have you seen the movie Gravity where she's just out there in space, but she has to be attached to something? And he was that for me. He just he was a godly example of a godly man in my life, and I really appreciated that. Never gave up on me, never judged me. Um, but my life was so empty for about six or seven years. I was just working, really doing nothing with my life but wasting it, drinking and escaping pain. Uh, started coming back around and really found that God had cared enough about me that whole time to just keep me close enough to him where I didn't completely become a branch that was just broken and dead. I had a little bit of a connection to the vine. Um, after coming back, I went to CR, uh, seven months sober today. Thank you. Uh, chemical recovery was amazing. I never really, uh, did it before that, even though I went to CR twice. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that really broke me and made me come back, uh, was we had two couples in our ministry that lost their children, uh, very young children, very tragically. 
and I just saw how my heart wasn't there for them. I had to see it on Facebook. These were people that I loved and cared about, but I never met their children. Uh, I was gone. So when they lost their children, it really changed my heart, and it started the change in me that brought me back. So now I'm grateful to God that he has brought me back into this family. It's an amazing family to be a part of. I'm so honored and privileged to be a part of this history and lineage. Um, I wanted to read a scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah has always been one of my favorite books. Um, First, my prayer (laughs) became uh, Psalm 51. Created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That was my prayer whenever I started coming back. I just didn't want to have a heart that wasn't pure before God anymore. Um, And Isaiah 43 says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. And I'm not saying that God took people away from my life for the sake of me. But it was people that I lost in my life that showed me that God loves me enough to let me come back. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much for letting me share. And uh, thank you. You know, Mike talked about suffering. My tree is wilting here. Uh, and, and I think many of us misunderstand suffering. You know, suffering's the good stuff, actually. He came back because when people were suffering, he was not able to suffer with them. That is a cool reason. Because that's really, when you connect to the vine... You're connected also to suffering. I mean, look at the names on this list. That one especially. Suffering. Not only so, we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And, and when we walk away, it's like we've, we haven't gone through this cycle yet. God's waiting to get us to the good stuff, but the only 
conduit to get there is through suffering. Who knows what this is? And we got some people who live basically right next door to that that are here at our conference. Anybody know? Where's my Tucson people? I know Tucson's in the house. This, this is the biodome or the biosphere or whatever they called it. Remember they made a movie about it? This is the biosphere too. This is a bunch of organic people that got together and built this thing <laughs> years ago. Of course, it's now not maintained and dilapidated, so you know how good and... All right, I won't go there. There's an experiment that they did. They began to grow all these different, like a rainforest, and they began to grow different climate zones within here to study them. And you may have heard this before about one of the experiments in the trees. It says the Biosphere Project was a research tool for science to study Earth's living systems. And it allowed scientists to play with farming and innovation in a way that didn't harm the planet. One of the most profound discoveries made by the science Scientists had nothing to do with a cure for some new disease or a way of farming land. Rather, the discovery had to do with the wind's role in a tree's life. The trees inside the Biosphere 2 grew rapidly, more rapidly than they did outside the dome. But they also fell over before reaching maturation. At looking at the root systems and the outer layers of bark, the scientists came to realize that a lack of wind in Biosphere 2 caused the deficiency of stress wood. Stress wood helps a tree position itself for optimal sun absorption, and it also helps trees grow more solidly. Without stress wood, a tree can grow quickly, but it cannot support itself fully. It cannot withstand the normal wear and tear and survive. In other words, trees needed some stress in order to thrive in the long run. And the church said, Amen. And this is really, if we're going to make it to heaven, what do you think God has to do as the gardener from time to time? I mean, He already breathed life into us, but sometimes He needs to breathe some wind onto us. And he is the gardener, so he kind of knows each step. He knows how to lead you through suffering. He knows how to lead you through perseverance. He knows how to grow your character and add some stress wood at the time so that there can be hope. And life finds a way through hope. And so just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. You know, what's amazing is that when Christ came to this world and he loved and he gave us an example of how to live, what was man's response to that? They wanted to take away his life. And as he's walking down the Via Della Rosa, because of the stress He was overwhelmed and he fell on the ground at one point in time. And some women rushed near him to minister to him. And it says he turned to them and he said, they were weeping. He said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For if men do these things when the tree is green, 
what will happen when it is dry. Isn't that powerful? This image of Christ, the man who breathed life into each and every one of us. And man, in our sinful arrogance, our best effort is to take that man, the life force, the one who began it all and gives life and breath to everyone and everyone else. And we, in our sin and in our arrogance, took his last breath. Is that not irony? Sad, tragic irony. And this is the best that we could do when Christ came to earth. We're going to beat you. We're going to flog you. We're going to embarrass you. We're going to spit in your face. We're going to crucify you in front of your mom. And we're going to drop your lifeless body in a tomb. And we're going to guard the tomb. And we're going to seal it up. And we're going to place people there to guard in case somebody tries to steal the body. Isn't our efforts just utter futility? This was the way sin operates in the human heart. It's so counterintuitive to life. It's so counterintuitive to spiritual life. We've got to repent of our sin. And that's really the picture of sin on the cross. It's ugly. It's gross. It's the life force and the breath of life being taken from our Creator. But again, you know, the thing about God is that He doesn't have a problem with death. Death is never the final state. And so as Peter began to preach the good news, he began to breathe the life back into a dead planet. With this message, he said, You, all of us, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was what? Impossible. It literally is impossible to stop. We can't stop the life force of God. It is impossible. We had our chance. We tried our best. And the seal was busted open. And Christ walked out of the tomb. And he rose from the dead. It's impossible to stop the life force of God. And so as we take communion, the Bible says, Where, O death, is your victory? If that's the best we can do is take a life. That's not a problem with God. God is the creator of life. So as we sinned and as we lost our life as slaves to sin, God said, well, that's not the end of the story for you. Sin will not be our victory. Sin will not be our final state. It will be Christ in us. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want each and every one of us, as disciples of Christ, to remember that we have victory. That that price has been paid for us. And that you and I are victorious, not because of our best efforts, but because of the life force that God 
breathed into us when we repented and were baptized into Christ. So do not let the life and the light in you become darkness ever again. Be a part of the life force of God as we remain in the vine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Christ, the author of life, that he breathed life into us, that he loves us, that God, even though we broke his heart and we broke your heart, God, that you love us and that you care for us and that you have grafted us into such an amazing history. God, we are. It staggers our mind to know that all the events in history have pointed to this moment in our life where we get the chance to know you and to connect with you. So, Father, we pray that you feel honored and set apart as Lord in our hearts as we take communion together. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You've just listened to audio from the Catalyst Conference. For more information about Catalyst, please visit CatalystRetreat.com.